Uh, open our Bibles this morning. Joshua chapter 22. Our text is Joshua chapter 22, verses 1 through 34. The topic there, the two and a half tribes returned to their land on the other side of the Jordan River and promptly set up an altar that almost causes a civil war. The title of our message this morning, Alternative Worship. Let's look at chapter 22, just reading verses 9 through 12 to set uh, the context, and then we'll come back and read through the chapter as we may comment on it. So beginning in Joshua 22, verse 9, So the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned and departed from the children of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the country of Gilead, to the land of their possession, which they had obtained according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. And when they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan, a great, impressive altar. Now the children of Israel heard someone say, Behold, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region of the Jordan on the children of Israel's side. And when the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go to war against them. Let's pray together. Father, how grateful we are that you've given us your word. May it enrich and bless our hearts this morning, Lord. Uh, we want to put ourselves in this story, as it were, understanding how you are speaking to us today. You can do it by your spirit, taking this living word, making it contemporary. We trust that you will. We pray in Jesus' name and everyone who agreed said, Amen. The Israelites quite literally built their lives around the Lord. After exodusing from Egypt, they camped in very distinct formations on four sides of the tabernacle. They built their lives around the Lord in that manner for over 40 years. Living around the Lord, they could easily participate in the daily, weekly, and annual events taking place at the tabernacle. The understanding that the Lord was to be at the very center is a key to analyzing the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. As those tribes approached the promised land, they asked Moses if they could settle outside of the land on the other side of the Jordan River. Moses was righteously indignant at first. He knew it was a bad idea. As they persisted, he graciously relented. For their part, the two and a half tribes promised to cross the Jordan River and help their brothers conquer the promised land. They kept their promise and in chapter 22 were returning to their homes in the country of Gilead. While their brothers continued to build lives around the Lord's tabernacle, they would pass over the Jordan River. They would pass by the monuments Joshua had erected that commemorated the miracle of crossing the Jordan into the promised land. Those monuments, one on the shores inside Canaan and one under the waters of the river, would silently witness to them of their decision to leave that land of promise. For 40 years, really almost 50 if you include the years of the conquest, they had camped with the Lord at their center. Leaving the land, their lives could no longer be built around the Lord. By their own choice, they had cut themselves off from His tabernacle. 
To try to compensate, they built an altar on their side of the Jordan River. It almost caused a civil war with their brothers. Peace was achieved, but the two and a half tribes remained separated from their brothers and from the Lord. One very precious lesson suggests itself to us. You can build your life around the Lord, or you can build your life to merely include the Lord. I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, be careful to avoid the draw of building your life to merely include Jesus. And number two, be honest to acknowledge the drawbacks of building your life to merely include Jesus. First of all, verses 1 through 10, let's look at the draw of building your life to merely include the Lord. Now, the confusion we have sometimes in analyzing the two and a half tribes is that Moses gave them permission to settle on the other side of the Jordan River. And then after he did, there are no rebukes against them doing so. In fact, their faithfulness to help in the fight is several times commended. You might therefore conclude that their settling outside the land was a good thing. It wasn't. It's a good example of what is sometimes called the permissive will of God. It was God's will that all his people enter the land and build their lives around him. He permitted the two and a half tribes to live outside the land. In his grace, he gave them what they desired, even though it was not his desire for them. And ultimately, it was not his best for them. They ought to have wanted to live in the land nearer to the tabernacle. The very presence of God was there in the tabernacle. During their wilderness wanderings, the Lord led them from place to place as his literal Shekinah, his glory would begin to move. The tabernacle was the place of worship. It was the center of their social lives. What could possibly draw the two and a half tribes away from a life in the promised land built around the tabernacle and thus around the Lord? Good grazing land was the draw. While passing through it on their way to the land of promise, they saw that the land outside of Canaan was great for livestock. They were big into livestock. So they persisted in asking permission to settle outside of the land. It was permitted. It was the permissive will of God. And so beginning in verse 1, Then Joshua called the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh. And he said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. You have not left your brethren these many days up to this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brethren as he promised them. Now, therefore, return and go to your tents and to the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. But take careful heed to do the commandment and the law, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, to hold fast to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. Now to the half-tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan, but to the other half of it, Joshua gave a possession among their brethren on this side of the Jordan, westward. And indeed, when Joshua sent them away to their tents, he blessed them and spoke to them, saying, Return with much riches to your tents, with very much livestock, with silver and gold, with bronze, with iron, and with very much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren." So the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh returned and departed from the children of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, 
to go to the country of Gilead, to the land of their possession, which they had obtained according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Now, it sounded great, but it wasn't. They were leaving the land God had promised them for a land of their own choosing. They were leaving the presence of the Lord. To compensate, they decided to build their own altar. Verse 10, And when they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan, a great, impressive altar. Now, we're going to hear their reasons for building this altar in a moment. They sound almost reasonable on the surface. But God had not prescribed any altars to be built inside or outside of the promised land. It was their way of trying to include the Lord in their lives rather than building their lives around Him. For the two and a half tribes, it was their livelihood, their careers that had the more powerful draw upon them than the Lord. They elevated the world to be equal with their worship. You know... Going through on their way to the promised land, this is some fantastic grazing land. We'll settle for this. We're not sure what the Lord might give us in the land of Canaan. He may not give us great built-in grazing land. We might have to plant something. We might have to do some work. We might have to clear some fields. And so we want the land right here that's all ready for us. The grass was greener to them on that side of the Jordan River. And they made a trade. You remember when we've gone over this a couple of times, Moses is incensed. He rebukes them. Man, I I wouldn't want to get Moses upset with me. People that came against Moses, the ground would open up and swallow them up sometimes. They persisted and said, yeah, okay, but we want this land. And Moses graciously permitted it because he understood that there was a permissive will of God. Now, The list of things that are a draw away from the Lord are as individual and as unique as each one of us. It's up to each of us to be careful to understand that we sometimes do bargain with God to get his permissive will to our own spiritual detriment. And then we build our own altars to try to compensate. I don't want to set up any of my own altars. I want to know God's perfect will not demand his permissive will, and so do you. And since we do, it is important that we survey our lives for any altars that we've built or are building. And so that is the major premise of of what we're talking about this morning. And that brings us to our second point, verses 11 through 34. Be honest to acknowledge the drawbacks of building your life to merely include Jesus. There were obvious drawbacks to living away from the tabernacle. I'll just list four of them. Crossing the Jordan River was never easy, and it was sometimes impossible. And so if you wanted to bring your sacrifice to the tabernacle, there were times it would be impossible for you to do that because you just could not get across the Jordan River. You were farther from the center of Jewish social life. The tabernacle was more than just a place of worship, as wonderful as that was. It was the center of Jewish social life. You'd be the last to hear what God was instructing the nation. And you'd be closer to your enemies and the first to be attacked and overrun by them when they came against the children of Israel. 
Now, besides these, and I'm sure many other drawbacks that you could think of, as we follow the conversation between the tribes, we can also identify some indicators we might be building merely to include the Lord. And so in verse 11, now the children of Israel heard someone say, behold, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh have built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region of the Jordan on the children of Israel's side. And when the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go to war against them. Why such a radical reaction? It's because altars were what the pagan cultures built to worship idols. The two and a half tribes looked exactly like their pagan neighbors. One indicator we are not building our lives around the Lord is that we look and act just like our unbelieving neighbors. If there is nothing to distinguish me as a believer, I am probably living too far from the Lord and too close to the world. Verse 13, Then the children of Israel sent Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, to the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad, and to half the tribe of Manasseh into the land of Gilead. And with him, ten rulers, one ruler each from the chief house of every tribe of Israel, and each one was the head of the house of his father among the divisions of Israel. You never wanted to get a pastoral visit from Phinehas. He was the guy in the book of Numbers who saw an Israelite go into his tent with a Moabite woman, and then he followed them in with a javelin, running them through and killing them for their sin. It stopped a plague that had broken out in the camp of Israel on account of sexual sin of intermingling with the wicked women. Phinehas was the real deal. You could always count on him to spearhead ministry. You don't always want a pastoral visit, believe me, and, and you certainly didn't want one from Phinehas. Now, here's another indicator of how you are building would you be someone who could be sent to deal with a spiritual situation? Or are you someone to whom others have to be sent? Which end of that conversation are you going to be on? If you're on the Phinehas end of it, great. If you're on the other end of it, then maybe you're building only including the Lord on the wrong side of the Jordan. Verse 15. Then they came to the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad, and to the tribe, half-tribe of Manasseh, to the land of Gilead, and they spoke with them, saying, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What treachery is this that you've committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord, in that you have built for yourselves an altar, that you might rebel this day against the Lord? Is the iniquity of Peor not enough for us, from which we are not cleansed till this day, although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord? but that you must turn away this day from following the Lord. And it shall be if you rebel today against the Lord that tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. Peor was the place of the aforementioned plague that killed 24,000 Israelites before Phinehas, uh, Phinehas acted. It's a reminder that we are interconnected as believers. My actions and attitudes affect you and vice versa. I am therefore never really free to do as I please. Rather, I am to do what pleases the Lord. And so people say, I, I want, I'll do as I please. Well, 
you will do what pleases the Lord. And as you're pleasing the Lord, obviously you're doing what will ultimately please you and will keep peace among uh, your brethren. A lot of times you'll hear a believer say that he or she has to do what is right for them. I agree, except I'd add that what is right for them can't be wrong for the body of Christ, something that will harm others. Uh, and so we, we uh, you may not have known this when you signed on, when you were born again, had your sins forgiven and realized that you're on your way to eternity. But part of it is this responsibility that we have to each other to do what is right, not what is expedient, not what feels good to me for the moment, uh, not something irresponsible, but considering the effect that it will have on the other believers I am in relationship with. Verse 19, Nevertheless, if the land of your possession is unclean, then cross over to the land of the possession of the Lord, where the Lord's tabernacle stands, take possession among us. But do not rebel against the Lord, nor rebel against us by building yourselves an altar besides the altar of the Lord our God. Now, this is a statement of amazing grace. He was inviting them back into the real fold of Israel, over onto the correct side of the land. And, and it's really gracious because all the land had been distributed, and so they were going to have to give up some of their own land to accommodate these two and a half tribes. It reminds me that if I find I've been building in a manner not pleasing to the Lord, I can just stop and return to the place of blessing. It's really as simple as that. We make it so complicated sometimes. It, it, whenever you find that you're wandering away from the Lord, backsliding from the Lord, not where the Lord wants you, uh, just come back. Come back. Uh, the devil comes in and he comes up with all kinds of excuses and roadblocks and obstacles and reasons why you can't. Uh, and the body of Christ just says, no, come back. Come to that place that, uh, you know, will refresh and comfort and encourage you. Come to that place of grace. We'll make a way for you. Notice, too, that Phinehas understood the basic issue. He said they had left the land of the possession of the Lord where the Lord's tabernacle stands. Yes, they were permitted to do so. They, they begged Moses to let them live outside the land. God gave them permission through Moses. Joshua continued in that tradition. But Phinehas understood the basic issue. No matter their permission, no matter their permissive will of God, they had left the land of the possession of the Lord where the Lord's tabernacle stands. You know, we don't, I, I guess I'm trying to get into the real power of this for us because we don't have anything like this. We, you know, we have a wonderful church facility, but it's just a building. It's just wood and stucco and we could meet anywhere. Uh, the, the children of Israel, I mean, this was, the tabernacle was, was a real thing. God said, my glory is there in that tent. And I want you to camp in a certain formation around it. And then once we get into the land, you're going to be dispersed throughout the land. But I'm still going to be the real center of our life as a nation. In fact, it breaks the prophet Samuel's heart when the people ask for a king. They say, we want to have a king like other nations. And Samuel understood the Lord is in your midst. The Lord is your king. 
Uh, and, and so this is real. This is this is the this is a big deal that these two and a half tribes want to live somewhere else. It's not that it just made it a little bit farther for them to go to church or they could find another place to worship. It was a real slap in the face of God that we don't want to live around you. We don't think that's as important as this grazing land. We'll include you. We'll come when we can. And, and it's really, it's awful is what it is. And, and so you think, well, why does God permit that? Why do you think? Because he's gracious. Sometimes I think God is more like a grandparent to us. Now that I have a grandchild. Parents are tough. They spank their children. Grandparents only threaten to spank the children. Uh, you know, it's, it's like, okay, I love you. Just don't do anything too weird. And, and, and you know, God is permitted. You know, God, you know, why, why does God want to force his love upon us after he saved us? I mean, he, he, he tells us, he says, don't do that. Stay here. No, Lord, I want this. I want this relationship. I want to marry this unbeliever. I, w- I want to have this job that takes me far away from you in, in some kind of a realm that's really difficult. I want this. I want that. God, I want that. I'm praying for that. And the Lord, he will finally relent. He'll, he'll cave in to our desires so often. And then we'll see in a minute, then they blame God for the problems that they're having. We need to get a hold of this idea of the permissive will of God. Theologians like to argue this. It's a big theological. Is there such thing as a permissive will of God? Yes, obviously, of course there is. And once you remember this, you're a little bit more cautious about the decisions you make. Jonah, went, he decided, I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm going to go down and see if there's a ship going in the opposite direction. Wow, there's a ship going in the opposite direction. It must be God's will. No, of course not. And so God had to deal with that. Uh, And so just because God lets us do things doesn't mean they are his will. And it's not secret. I don't think, you know, God's not, it's not a trick. God reveals his will. We can always know it. And when we go against it, it's our decision, not his. And so Phinehas says, look, don't leave the land of the possession of the Lord where the Lord's tabernacle stands. Verse 20 did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the accursed thing, and wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel. And that man did not perish alone in his iniquity. Achan took spoil from Jericho when God told him not to. He hid it in his tent. It ultimately led to the deaths of 36 Israeli soldiers in the next battle at Ai. Achan perished, but he also brought others down with him. This is a deeper wrinkle on what we just said regarding our being interconnected. We must not stumble others by our behaviors. Before I make a decision, I must consider how it will affect my brothers and sisters. Might it cause them to trip and fall in their own walk with Jesus? If so, I'd better think again. I understand feelings. I have a few. It's a little joke. I can tell you think I'm serious. Anyway, sometimes we're so motivated by our feelings. It's like, I, I just have to do this. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I, I know that it's going to affect other people negatively, but I'm sorry about that. Well, no, you're not. Think about what you're doing and how it will really affect other believers, especially weaker believers that are maybe looking at you, not necessarily up to you, but at you and, and watching you. 
You know, we, we need to, we're not asked to do much sacrificing in this world in which we live, in this country in which we live. Nobody's yet holding a gun to our heads as Christians. The least we can do is consider the body of Christ when we make decisions. Hey, if I really want to do this, maybe not even an area of sin, but just an area of liberty, how is this really going to affect others? Is it going to help them in their walk with the Lord or hurt them? If it's going to hurt them, then I don't want to do that. I'll swallow it and just continue the way I'm at. 21. The children of Reuben, the children of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh answered and said to the heads of the divisions of Israel, The Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, He knows and let Israel itself know. If it is in rebellion or if it is in treachery against the Lord, do not save us this day. If we have built ourselves an altar to turn from following the Lord, or if to offer on it burnt offerings or grain offerings, or if to offer peace offerings on it, let the Lord Himself require an account. Now, a lot of what these guys say sounds okay until you really think about it. They sound submissive at first when they say, do not save us this day. But when they say, let the Lord himself require an account, in other words, they're saying, hey, we answer to God rather than you. You misunderstand us. You don't know what's really going on. This is okay. Uh, and so, yeah, go ahead, kill us if you want to, but we answer to God. Now, it's true that we will stand before the Lord and answer to Him, but He's going to take into account our lives among our fellow believers. We do have responsibilities to one another, and we do answer to one another as well as to the Lord. God just doesn't put me into situations where obeying Him will hurt other believers. If I find myself saying that He has, I should stop and reevaluate my decisions. Verse 24, But in fact, we have done it for fear. For a reason, saying, in time to come, your descendants may speak to our descendants, saying, what have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us, uh, you children of Reuben and children of Gad. You have no part in the Lord, so your descendants would make our descendants cease fearing the Lord. Wait a minute. Who made this border between them? They did. When they demanded that they be allowed to settle on the wrong side of the Jordan River, now they blame it on the Lord. We're settled over here. The Lord's made this border between us, and you're going to accuse us of not being spiritual. And so we threw up an altar. It's a classic example of blame shifting. Blame shifting is always an indicator you are building poorly. Whenever in, in your church or in your marriage or at work or wherever you are, when you start shifting the blame, it's an indication that you are not understanding that the Lord wants to be at the center of these things. Notwithstanding that people around you in all of those venues do weird things. But Paul the Apostle says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. God has given us the spiritual resources and equipping to deal with the weirdness of other people. And so when my boss is bearing down on me and I think I can't take it anymore, I remember that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That I'm probably right where God wants me to be. And that with the filling of the Holy Spirit, I can turn the tables. And I can be a witness for Christ in the midst of that. Not shifting the blame, saying, well, I, I'd be a better Christian if I didn't have this boss. God's given you that boss probably to show you how to live the Christian life. It's a tremendous thing. Blame shifting. It started in the Garden of Eden. God came 
Adam and Eve are hiding from him in his grace. He says, where are you guys? I'm here for my afternoon walk. Talk to Adam. Adam said, the woman you gave me caused this trouble. He says, Eve, what's going on? The devil made me do it. And the Lord said, you're responsible. I told you, made it clear, you're responsible. But hey, guess what? I also have a way of bringing you back to me. And so the blame shifting, all it does is hold God off, keeps him at bay, keeps him from getting into the midst of the situation where you can receive his power and grace. Classic example of blame shifting. Verse 26, Therefore we said, let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar, not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between you and us and our generations after us, that we may perform the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices, with our peace offerings, that your descendants may not say to our descendants in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. Therefore, we said that it will be when they uh, say this to us or to our generations in time to come, that we may say, here is the replica of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, though not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifices. It is a witness between you and us. And now they keep mentioning their descendants and their generations. They're talking about their kids living on the wrong side of the Jordan River, outside of the promised land, they were trying to figure out a way to raise godly children. Their kids would never know the joy and privilege of living with God at their center. The tabernacle would be too distant to be significant. The very fact that their parents chose life outside of Canaan would establish for their kids that God was to be included, if possible, but He was not necessary as the top priority. Now, this for me is the saddest part of a decision to live a marginal, borderline Christian life. Kids aren't dumb. They know whether or not God is the real focal point of a family. It's hard enough to raise right kids in a wrong world without trying to do so living a life of compromise. They're going to claim that this altar was built as a witness to the Lord that will compensate for their living outside the land. But what did it really witness to? It was a witness to their expediency and to their putting their material lives first. It was a witness that said good grazing land trumps God. It was a witness that said you can have the best of both worlds if you just move slightly away from God. It was a witness that the world is equal to your worship. Wow, that's what it really says. Verse 29, far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn from following the Lord this day to build an offer for altar for burnt offerings or for grain offerings or for sacrifices besides the altar of the Lord, our God, which is before His tabernacle. Far be it from us. In other words, we're not capable of what you're accusing us of. Sure, we built an altar, but since it's not for sacrifice, it's no big deal. Yes, it was a big deal. God never told them to build that replica altar. How are you at being corrected? If you are defensive and even become offensive when you're corrected, it's a good indicator something is wrong. I'm not talking about being criticized. You know, people say that every criticism has a grain of truth. Why? Who says? Sometimes people are just wrong. I've been wrong, you've been wrong. You can't live like that, thinking that every criticism has a grain of truth. Sometimes it's just mean. But if you're being corrected, spiritually corrected, 
How do you really receive that? I know how I initially receive it. I, I, you know, my flesh wants to rebel against it. I want to become defensive. And I want to get offensive and say, okay, now that we're on the subject, here's what I see in your life. It's really difficult to correct others in the body of Christ unless they're humble and walking with the Lord, with the Lord at the center of their lives. It's a, it's a joy to correct those who uh, are, are in that state. And so, you know, this is, this is for us. This is for me. This is for you to look and say, hey, how do I really deal with correction? Not how do I think I would deal with correction, but how do I really deal with it when it comes? Uh, I've seen whole churches ruined because people have been corrected about something and then they turn it into... Uh, World War Three. They just can't receive that correction. And they can't believe that that would be true of them. It's really a sad thing. Verse 30. Now when Phinehas the priest and the rulers of the congregation, the heads of the divisions of Israel who were with him, heard the words that the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh spoke, it pleased them. Then Phinehas the son of Eleazar the priest said to the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the children of Manasseh, This day we perceive that the Lord is among us because you have not committed treachery against the Lord. Now you have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest and the rulers returned from the children of Reuben and the children of Gad, from the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan, to the children of Israel and brought back word to them. So the thing pleased the children of Israel and the children of Israel blessed God. And they spoke no more of going against them in battle to destroy the land where the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. Children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar witness, for it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. You almost think that they're going to break out into kumbaya right now, too. I mean, everything seems to end on such a good note. But before we break out in song, let me quote Bible commentator Warren Wiersbe. He says this, Phinehas was pleased, the delegation was pleased, the children of Israel across the Jordan were pleased, but was the Lord pleased? The delegation rejoiced that the purpose of the altar was for witness and not sacrifice, and this seemed to settle the matter. But the nation was divided in spite of the altar of witness. Like Abraham and Lot in Genesis 13, part of the nation had a spiritual outlook, while the other part was concerned with material things. These tribes were living in the permissive will of God. It is difficult to deal with believers living in the permissive will of God. Sometimes the best you can do is reach a compromise with them so long as you're not compromising with sin. All you can do is work with them to preserve peace while hoping and praying that one day they will break out of it. With the tribes of Israel, it was obvious whether or not they were building their lives around the Lord or merely to include Him. If you were in the promised land, you were building around Him. If you chose to settle outside the land, you weren't building lives around him. Among us as believers, it can seem to be more difficult to determine how we are building our lives since there's no physical tabernacle. Yet it ought to be easier since we ourselves are the tabernacle of God among men, both individually as Christians and corporately as a church, we are his tabernacle. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit ought to make it easier for us to determine where we are building. Let the Spirit take this word and search our hearts. If need be, let us, in the words of Phinehas, cross over to the land of the possession of the Lord 
where the Lord's tabernacle stands and takes possession. A final thought, and it's a precious one at that, when this is all over and we are with Jesus in eternity, we are told in the revelation of Jesus Christ, this is from chapter 21, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. In other words, eternity will be a life that is built around the Lord. He will be the center. He will be our focus. Lives built around Jesus now are a witness to others of what life is meant to be and what it one day will be. Now, we have to trust the Lord. The grass sometimes actually is greener on the other side. In the case of the two and a half tribes, the grass was greener. They, they had great grazing land. They didn't want to, they'd already conquered the enemies. They didn't want to have to go into the land, take their chances that God, uh, with whatever land God was going to give them by lot, and then have to work hard at preparing it and getting it ready for their livestock. The grass was greener, but the Lord wasn't there. And as Christians, we want to make that fundamental, uh, we want that to be the foundation of everything. This decision I'm making, whether it's a momentary decision, whether it's a life-changing decision, uh, where to go to church, where to live, where to work, whatever it might be, what is the Lord's real will? Where can I live and work and worship where the Lord will be the center? Not where is it greener, where it will be easier, where I can you know, start over, those kinds of things, but where is it that the Lord is really leading so that I can actually say, I've put him at the center of my life. I'm not just including him. None of us want to be that kind. You don't want to be the two and a half tribes. I know that. No one wants to just include the Lord. We'll, we'll do this if it's convenient. We'll do this if it's, uh, you know, if it, if it doesn't interfere with everything else that we want to do. But it does require some sacrifice. The Lord is worthy. He, like any good relationships, sometimes you have to give up some things in order to preserve what is best. And the Lord says, look, you could have this land, this is a great land, you could go here, you could do that, or you could trust me that, yes, it will be difficult, yes, there will be work to do, yes, there will be enemies to, but, to, to expel, but at the end of it, you will be so much richer and fuller, you'll be so much stronger, we'll be so much closer Christian life isn't always the easy life, but it is the best life. Warren Wiersbe calls these two and a half tribes borderline believers. We don't want to live on the borders, including the Lord. We want to live in the land, the Lord at the center. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for these things. Uh, I pray for myself and for my brothers and sisters that we would take them to heart, allow your Holy Spirit to shine His light on our lives, that we would remove any altars we've built, and that our desire, Lord, would be to continue to build lives around You. We thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand together. The guys are up here to pray with you. Uh, we uh, love to do that. Uh, may God bless you. 
find somebody you don't know and at least introduce yourself to them this morning. And um, uh, what a joy, what a, what a wonderful joy to have such a gracious God. I know, you know, sometimes I think, God, you know, please don't, don't let me have a permissive will. But the Lord loves us too much to force things upon us. Uh, and, and he waits for us. He gives us plenty of information, all the, you know, the checks and balances we need to make the right choice. Make right choices that keep you in the center of his will. God bless you.